Ray, thank you. Now, the British Prime Minister and the EU are poised to announce a new deal on the Northern Ireland Protocol to end years of post-Brexit chaos. But will the deal satisfy the DUP in Northern Ireland and their Brexiteer hardline allies in the Tory party? Well, earlier I spoke with the Tánaiste and Foreign Affairs Minister Micheál Martin and asked him if the Irish government expects that a deal will be done now this week. It is fair to say that um, very significant progress has been made over the last um, number of months and that there has been intense engagement, intense negotiation on a wide range of issues pertaining to the protocol. Uh, It's also very clear that both negotiating teams developed uh, a strong trust in their relationships, uh, which was not there before. Uh, and that the objective of the negotiations uh, was to improve upon uh, the operation um, of the trading arrangements between the European Union and the United Kingdom, and specifically in terms of goods going from mm. the United Kingdom to Northern Ireland and um, and related issues. Uh, and our objective collectively between the British government, the Irish government, the European Union is to uh, have a deal and have a resolution between the EU and the UK and have the convention, oh, sorry, the assembly and the executive restored in Northern Ireland, which I think will benefit the people of Northern mm. Ireland. And, <coughs> and so given that uh, significant substantial progress that you talk about, um, uh, uh, and we, we've heard Dominic Raab in the UK say today that he expects uh, an agreement within days rather than weeks. Is that your hope as well, that, that we will see uh, an agreement emerge within days rather than weeks? Well, as you know, Justin, um, I've been very um, consistent in not wanting to speculate on these negotiations and always uh, of a view that the negotiating team should be given as much space as possible to not just uh, agree a deal but to land a deal. And um, I'm always very wary of speculating in, t- in, in respect of timelines. Uh, but I do know that the, the, the will is there uh, on everybody's behalf now to get this over the line uh, in a quicker timeline uh, than, a, than a medium term timeline, mm. put it that way to you. But do you agree, do you believe then that the, the, the agreement, the deal that, that is being done, that it will satisfy the DUP and get them to a point where they would be willing to re-establish power sharing in Northern Ireland? I would hope so. And I believe we have listened very, very carefully to the concerns of all parties in Northern Ireland. It's clear to me that both negotiating teams worked on the basis of responding to concerns that had been raised uh, by uh, political parties in Northern Ireland, uh, particularly in terms of uh, you know, goods going from UK to uh, to Northern Ireland, and also in terms of issues around democratic deficit in terms of the operation of that trading relationship into the future. We have heard the, the UK Foreign Secretary say that any deal would have to satisfy the DUP. If they're not satisfied, what happens then? I mean, will they have a veto over an agreement? I think the, the the broader picture is that we, we have to be conscious of, of, of all perspectives um, within Northern Ireland. Uh, and I think the, the, the key focus should be on uh, the issues that have been raised in respect of the protocol over the last uh, number of years and the degree to which this negotiation process uh, deals with those issues. If we keep to the issues, uh, I believe it will be um, satisfactory to all concerned and that we will be in a position to resolve these outstanding issues and get the executive and the assembly up and running. It, it's it, All the reports 
uh, about this agreement suggest that the European Court of Justice will continue to play a role in Northern Ireland, even as a court of last resort. How could the DUP or, or any unionist party then be satisfied with an agreement which would subject it to EU law in one part of the United Kingdom, which doesn't apply in the rest of the UK? Well, in fairness to all concerned, the primary issue uh, consistently over the last while has been uh, the movement of goods from the United Kingdom, certain goods, um, to, to Northern Ireland. Uh, and people felt there was an excessive checks, checks on such uh, goods. Um, and uh, also then in terms of the democratic deficit, the idea that new uh, regulations could impact on Northern Ireland without due consultation, due engagement uh, in advance. And I think those are the kind of issues that were always uppermost. In relation to the European Court of Justice, um, you, you used the phrase there, last resort. The European Court of Justice isn't, doesn't solve or you know, get engaged in every individual dispute. And there are a whole range of mechanisms in advance of that last resort that would deal with any issues that may arise. And the importance is that you have mechanisms uh, that can resolve issues uh, in a sensible way. Uh, the, the, the European Court of Justice is about is essentially a guidance or, you know, in terms of European Union law. Um, and I think the proper, very often its role is not understood more broadly um, across society. And, um, the, and what is very interesting, in all of my consultations with, with parties in Northern Ireland and with industry and business, all want continued access to the European Union single market because it benefits the Northern Ireland economy. Uh, and um, so there's balance and perspective in all okay. uh, negotiations. And I think we need to properly understand the role and, uh, of the ECJ. It's around interpreting European Union law. Do, do you expect that any agreement, um, it, when it is reached, if it is reached in the coming days, that that would also result then in the Northern Ireland Protocol Bill being withdrawn from the UK Parliament because we, we read uh, reports this weekend that the former Prime Minister Boris Johnson has been in discussions uh, with Tory hardliners, with the DUP, urging them to ensure that that does not happen. Is that going to be a condition of an agreement? Well, it doesn't have to. I mean, the bottom line is when, and, and, and the British government has been consistently saying, even before uh, Prime Minister Sunak took over, that they would prefer a negotiated settlement than a negotiated resolution of these issues. And that means the negotiated settlement is an alternative to the legislation that's currently before Westminster. Um, and um, so, uh, and that has been a consistent position. And I would say to um, you know, people in, 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 in UK politics and, and those that you've just referenced, your primary focus, all of our primary focus has to be on the people of Northern Ireland, not on our own political situations or in playing politics with, with the situation in Northern Ireland. It's far too serious. Can I ask you about the, the shooting of PSNI Detective Chief Inspector John Caldwell uh, in Oma on Wednesday night? How much of a threat is the new IRA and other dissident groups posing to, to peace right now and how much of a threat are they on this side of the border? Well, they do, they do pose a threat by their very existence, by the degree to which they're poisoning minds of a younger generation and as long as you have a small group of people who um, are intent on attempting uh, murderous attacks of the kind we witnessed uh, last week. In other words, this was an attempted murder uh, on a man who is giving so much to society, not just in his role as a PSNI uh, detective, but also in terms of coaching uh, young football teams. Uh, the very best sort of person. 
Um, and um, I find it quite shocking that we still have uh, people who are prepared to coldly plot uh, a dastardly deed like this. And so once you have a group of people like that, they are always a threat. And I think what we have to be very strong on is really working in a new generation to once and for all take the narrative of the gun out of Irish politics. It's no longer acceptable, it never was in my view, uh, that any small group of people can decide upon themselves that they can murder, they can bomb, uh, in, in the con just because they have a warped view of society, of how society should be organised today, or that their views must be attained um, by uh, such murder, such attempted acts. And we've had a number of these prior to the attack last week. There were some um, improvised explosive devices, devices last November uh, and earlier in February. And so they do represent a threat. You were also Minister for Defence and, and the decision to allow Irish troops um, to, to train soldiers from Ukraine, soldiers who are engaged in fighting a war against Russia in their own country. Um, that has raised concerns about Ireland's neutrality and you've been accused by Richard Boyd Barrett and other anti-war campaigners in the Dáil of, of a flagrant breach of our neutral status by allowing our troops uh, to, to be involved like this. Don't they have a point? Our, our neutrality is at risk, isn't it, if we involve ourselves in training one side that's involved in a war? Uh, no, it's not. And I would take issue with the language around one side that's involved in a war or by anti-war activists. We are all anti-war. But Russia choose to impose a war on the people of Ukraine and in doing so, breach the fundamental principles of the United Nations Charter. Ukrainian people under the UN Charter have a right to defend themselves as people, uh, to defend their territorial integrity and sovereignty. What we're contributing here is some soldiers to train people who would have expertise in demining, uh, in terms of bomb disposal, in terms of medical combat, in terms of, of providing you know, top-class medicine in, in respect of uh, injuries and, and so on uh, as a result of war. And we do know that this war has been waged on a civilian population through the bombing of residential apartments. I've seen it myself when I went to Boucher and Erkman. Uh, I saw the apartment blocks that were levelled by bombs. Uh, are we seriously saying that up to 30 uh, Irish personnel cannot go to Ukraine to help them to defend themselves in their own cities and their own towns, to help them to treat their wounded. And again, what, just to explain to people, cluster munitions mean young children when they're on the playground after a bombing attack uh, can, can become victims to unexploded bombs and uh, amputations and so on and to horrific injuries. Uh, it makes absolute sense that we would do everything we could to help and to train to protect such injuries to people within Ukraine. Uh, and our military neutrality is defined by uh, alignment. We're, we are not members of NATO. We're not members of any common defence pact. That is what military okay. neutrality means. Um, but it doesn't mean we're politically or morally neutral in terms of our terrible attack uh, and we have to call this out. And I do take issue at times with Deputy Boyd Barrett and others who almost sort of develop a sense of equivalence that there's a war between two countries. Uh, th this was an invasion by uh, Russia, uh, unprovoked aggression. And the idea that one nation state, because you're bigger, uh, believes that it can take over a smaller state and bomb and mutilate and kill um, is, is, is not the same thing at all. 
Can I just, just ask you about a, a couple of domestic issues? Um, you indicated during the week in the Dáil that there is concern within government about any proposed extension to the eviction ban. Uh, what, what is the alternative? What, what other options are being considered by the government to protect renters if the eviction ban is not going to be renewed? Well, well first of all, no decision has been taken in, in respect of the extension of, of the eviction ban and there will be further discussions on that this during the week. Um, there is a, um, there's no, there's a tapering effect in respect of the existing uh, eviction ban, so that there wouldn't be a cliff edge, so to speak, on, on if, if it was to expire. And we do have to look at how we can bring people back into the rental market to let out houses. But will you be taking additional measures then to protect renters if you're if if and I know no decision has been made, but if that eviction ban does expire, will there be other additional measures introduced to protect renters uh, from from being evicted from their properties from uh, in, into homelessness? Again, that that all of that is is is, is possible, of okay. course, and a range of measures will be will be looked at. All right. Before I let you go, there there is a report in the Sunday Times newspaper today about an Irish citizen in Australia who's accused of being a threat to national security there, uh, following an operation uh, by the Australian authorities targeting. Russian intelligence agents. Has the Department of Foreign Affairs been contacted by Australia, by the Australian authorities, in relation to this person? And, and are you providing consular assistance to that individual? Well, the, the individual, my understanding is, and I, I'm subject to further correction on this, uh, Justin, but my understanding is that person, the person has contacted uh, our consular services, uh, the Australian government. It's a matter for them in terms of their security situation and they don't necessarily... Uh, contact us in respect of security concerns that they have or in respect of deportations that they make as a result of security concerns. And that was the Taunishta and Foreign Affairs Minister Micheál Martin speaking to me a short time ago from the Cork studio.